It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, we are at the halfway point of this Colossian study. Now, my guess is, if you've been uh, walking through this study with me, uh, you're probably wondering when we're going to get out of chapter 2, or even, sorry, chapter 1, and get into chapter 2. And uh, it's coming. I, I do promise it is coming. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time in chapter 1 because of the fact that that is where Paul is building the foundation of his entire argument. As we get into chapter 2 and we look at these false teachings that was just kind of happening around Colossae, well, it's gonna, Paul's going to keep appealing back to what he's saying in chapter 1. As we get into the practicals in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is going to be appealing back to chapter 1 and saying, okay, that truth that I just talked about in chapter 1 is absolutely critical to understand what is happening in chapters 2, 3, and 4. So the reason we're spending so much time in chapter 1 is because it is the foundation, the platform for which Paul is going to be talking about everything else. Uh, what I want to do in this particular session is we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 7. So we are, in a sense, uh, at least dipping our toes into chapter 2. And there's so much rich content in this section. Again, I, I kind of wish secretly that we could just kind of creep through the book of Colossians like I've done with Ephesians. And there, there's so many rich passages that I'd love for us just to spend time and just ponder and develop and just discover the truth in that passage. And yet again, we're just, we're seeing Colossians in a big picture perspective. So we don't have, to time, we don't have the time to do that. But we're going to take two sessions, this one and the next one, and look at the concepts uh, in, a, in a broad view that's contained in this section. But let's just read it just so it's fresh in our hearts and our minds. So this is Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. This is what Paul writes. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God given to me for you, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me in power. For I want you to understand how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not seen my face in the flesh, so that their hearts may be encouraged having been held together in love, even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding under the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, 
As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. Wow, what an incredible passage. There is so much going on in, in, the, in the passage that, again, I, I really wish we had time to develop this. And there's a lot of overlay with the book of Ephesians. And so we're not going to cover a lot of this. And if you want to go into more depth, for example, in the last section that we read uh, in chapter 2, uh, I think it's verse, uh, verse 6 and 7, uh, Paul talks about this fact that, hey, he desires that you would actually grow up in your faith and be rooted and grounded in him. Well, we're not going to be covering that, even though I so desperately want to. It is such a profound concept. But I recently preached that in my Ephesians study. So if you're interested in diving deeper into some of the stuff that we're going to be skipping in this section, uh, you can find that in the Ephesians study. That being said, I want to break this section into two primary thoughts. And what I want to do is I want to look at one of those in today's session, and then the next one I want to look at the following one. So here are the two main concepts that I want to look at in this section. Again, we're doing some broad overview. Uh, today, part one, we're going to look at the ministry and the message of Paul. And then in the next session, I want to look at the struggle and the suffering of Paul. Uh, it's interesting as we come into the passage Again, Paul is talking about the fact that he's just, he's struggling, he's laboring, he's just tirelessly ministering on behalf of those in Colossae. And again, it's interesting that he never visited the town, and yet there's this overwhelming turmoil and struggle and suffering that Paul has on their behalf. But in order to understand the struggle, I think we need to first understand the ministry and the message. So let's dive into this. Uh, Paul begins by talking about the ministry, and it comes out of Colossians. I'm, I'm going to pull out one verse as kind of the overview, but Colossians 1.25, this is what Paul writes. He says, of which I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God given to me for you so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. So Paul says that I have been made a minister, that God because of his overwhelming stewardship, that, that word stewardship, by the way, uh, has this idea of administration, uh, management, administration. Uh, it was the word that was often used for the person who oversaw a household. Uh, for example, you had this servant, and they were in charge of the finances, and they were in charge of the landscaping, and they were in charge of you know, making sure that everyone was where they're supposed to be. They were in charge of all the other servants. That administration, that uh, uh, stewardship, that management of a household, of someone gives the rights to an individual to oversee something, Paul says, God, through God's stewardship, gave me this responsibility to be a minister. Now, I love the term minister in Scripture. And uh, in fact, you should go up to your pastor and say, Pastor, I just heard that you are a minister, which means, and this is so fun, biblically the word minister just means a servant. Uh, the word is found 31 times throughout the New Testament, and it's often translated servant. There was this servant in the house, and what's that word? Oh, this word. Uh, in the epistles, a lot of times Paul will use that word to talk about a pastor or someone who's in ministry. Do you know what a pastor or a minister is? They are not the one in charge of the church. I mean, yeah, that's true. They're the one who leads. They're the one who preaches. I get that. 
But ultimately, the role of a minister or a pastor is actually the one who rolls up his sleeves. It's the one who washes the feet. It's the one who serves on behalf of God the Father. Is that any thought? That if you are called to ministry, it's not some high lofty position. In fact, if you're called to ministry, the whole calling is to stoop. The whole calling is to serve. The whole calling is to, to roll up your sleeves and wash the feet. I love the fact that Jesus says, I, I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to minister. Jesus came to pour his life out. Jesus came to roll up his sleeves and, and meet the needs of those around him. And he, he came and just, oh, how, how can I meet your needs? And how, how can I bless you? And, and hey, hey, how can I serve you? And, and how, hey, how can I? Wouldn't it be neat if we as the body of Christ had that same passion? That we weren't looking for something to get out of the people around us. We weren't, hey, we weren't coming to church so that, we, hey, we got something. What if the whole desire of our hearts as believers was that, hey, we are ministers of Christ to this world, which means, yes, we're the ones who proclaim the truth, but we're the ones who roll up our sleeves and just minister, wash the feet, meet the needs, serve the people around us. And Paul says, God has really chosen me through his administration, his stewardship, to, to be a minister, and I have been made a minister according to God's stewardship. And again, that is the whole focus of Paul's ministry. And he says the whole reason for that, again, he goes back into verse 25. He said the whole reason for that is so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. He says the reason, according to God's stewardship and administration, that I have been chosen to serve and to minister is so that I might fully carry out this proclamation of the word. So when you look at the ministry of Paul, the whole ministry of Paul was bleeding, suffering, dying, pouring his life out, meeting the, meeting the needs around him. And how was he primarily doing that? Well, he was serving, he was blessing, but he was also proclaiming the richness of the word of God. Now, what if we as believers realized that this wasn't just specific to Paul? Yes, he had a specific calling. Yes, he had a very specific ministry to the Gentiles. Yes, he was uniquely gifted and called by God. And yet, all of us in the body of Christ are called to be ministers. We are all called to be servants to the world around us. We are called to demonstrate the life, the love, and the message of Christ to a hopeless and dying world. What if we had that same drive and that same passion that Paul had? What if we would realize that you and I have been chosen by God to be a minister to a very broken world and that we are to fully carry out this proclamation of God's truth. Well, I love that concept. And it really brings us into, well, then, if he's preaching the word of God, what then is the message that he is proclaiming? And I want to read verse 26 as kind of an overview concept, and then I want to flesh this out. He says in verse 26, kind of the heart of this message, again, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, right? That is, verse 26, he says that preaching the word of God is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints. Paul says, I've been made a minister and I am proclaiming a marvelous mystery. Well, what is that message? What is that mystery? 
So in order to understand that, I want to give you the broader context. So let me just read a few verses from our section here, because as Paul is weaving this concept through, I really want, to get, want you to grab a hold of this. So this is Colossians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26 again, and this is verse 26, 27, 28, and then some passage in chapter 2. But this is what Paul says. He says, I'm preaching the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone complete in Christ, so that their hearts may be encouraged, having been held together in love, even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding, unto the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. Isn't that a great passage? Paul says, the message that I am proclaiming, I am proclaiming the word of God. That is this mystery. Well, what is the mystery? Paul says, the mystery is Christ in you. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 2, that the mystery is Christ himself. Uh, when you go back into Paul's day and you look at this idea of mystery, there were two types of mystery. Uh, one type of mystery was the mystery uh, that where you had to be like initiated into something in order to get the secret. Uh, it was a secret club. It was a secret society kind of an idea. And uh, that was very popular in Paul's day. Uh, the Gnostics was one of those kind of groups. Uh, they had a special knowledge. And uh, if you wanted the special knowledge, you had to be initiated into the special group. And when you got a part of the special society, the, spe the special group, well, then we're going to reveal you all the details. Uh, perhaps a cheesy illustration. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I was really interested in illusions and, and you know, little magic trick things, card tricks and that kind of stuff, sleight of hand. And uh, it, it was fascinating when I, when I first started learning card tricks and, and these you know, sleight of hand things. You know, the big deal when it comes to those things is, hey, you can't reveal this to anybody. This is top secret. And so, hey, we're going to initiate you in. Hey, you're going to be a part of this special club. You'll know the behind-the-scenes stuff. You'll know how it works, but you can't reveal it to anybody else. Why? Because it's a special initiation. It's a special club. That's not this idea of mystery. When Paul talks about the fact that he is proclaiming a mystery— uh, it's the other kinds. It's the second idea of mystery. This idea of mystery is that it's only a mystery so long as it's not revealed. In other words, it could be hidden in plain sight, and for some reason we miss it, but it's not because it's actually hiding. It's, well, it's there. It's just, we just, we just never saw it before. It's just, oh, I, I just never, oh, it's just never clear. Uh, uh, maybe, a, again, a cheesy illustration of this is uh, if you ever played hide-and-seek with, uh, with a young, young, young little kid. 
I remember when my niece was, you know, five, six years old, and uh, I would go home and I would visit family, and uh, Paisley would come to me and go, Nathan, Uncle Nathan, play hide and seek with me. And I'd say, okay, I'll play hide and seek with you. And she goes, okay, count to 10, close your eyes. I said, okay. So I'd be like, one, two, and, you know, hey, 10, right or not, here I come. And, uh, and she, you know, she had run off in the house somewhere, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for her. Now, as, as a good uncle, I knew exactly where she was. She was not hiding that well. You know, she was hiding behind the curtains, and she's giggling, and she's shaking the curtains. In fact, her feet are sticking out. But again, as, as a good uncle, you know, I'd go into the kitchen, Paisley, are you here? And of course, you'd hear this, no, <laughs> right? And she, you know, she'd be squealing, and she just thinks this is fun. And, and I'm going around, I'm looking in the trash can, I'm, I'm looking in different rooms, and eventually I find myself in the living room, and I'm like, Paisley, I can't, man, where are you? And you know, and I'm looking around, and eventually I, I go to where she is in the curtains, and I grab her, and I tickle her, and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, man, you found me. I'm like, I know. It was hard. <laughs> you know? See, that is more the idea of this idea of revelation, or this idea of mystery. Yeah, it's, it is a mystery, but it's actually hiding in plain sight. God has, has, has this incredible mystery in Scripture, and yet once you are once you are awakened, once this has been revealed to you, you start walking through all the scripture and you're like, whoa, 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 this is everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm just seeing it on every page. Yeah, you're right. Well, why was I missing it before? I've read all this over and over and, and I never saw it. I know, but it's because it's never been revealed to you. But it's just hiding in plain sight. It's like, you know, my little niece hiding behind the, the living room curtains and giggling and laughing, even though she's playing hide and seek. God has an incredible mystery for us. In fact, he says it's been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. See, there's this profound mystery that is, from the beginning of time, has been hidden all through Scripture. There's one thing that God has been yelling. There's been one focus that God's been doing. And suddenly, Paul says, it has now been revealed, and now we go, oh, now I see what God was doing. Oh, now I see what all this is pointing to. Oh, I get the whole point of this thing. So what is this incredible mystery? How, how, is, this, how is this mystery even revealed is maybe a better question. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul also talks about the mystery. And listen to this. He talks about how this mystery is revealed. He says in Ephesians 3, verse 3 through 5, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Oh, that word in can be translated by the Spirit. So Paul says, oh, there's this overwhelming mystery, and it's been hidden for ages and generations, but now it is coming to this point of revelation. Well, how is this mystery revealed? Paul says it is the Spirit of God who is bringing revelation and insight into this overwhelming mystery. So then, what's the mystery? <laughs> Paul, okay, if you're talking about this incredible mystery— what is the mystery that you're talking about? Well, let me just read a few verses all throughout the New Testament where we're talking about the mystery, the mystery. That word keeps showing up over and over. And I want you to grab a hold of something. 
Each of these passages come at the same mystery from several different angles, but I want you to grab a hold of the concept. So this is the passage we just read, Ephesians 3, verse 3 through 5. Again, look at this. By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you could understand my, mis- understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This mystery is of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, talking about husbands and wives, Paul says, quoting the Old Testament, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul comments on that passage. He says, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In Romans chapter 16, Paul says this, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then look back at our passage. Paul says, I'm, so that I might carry out the full preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that an incredible list of passages? And of course, you might still be saying, I, Nathan, I don't get it. What is this grand mystery? Let me put it succinctly. Here's the mystery. The mystery is the life of Christ within us. It's the fact that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Uh, when, when you look at the reality of the new covenant, when you, when you look at the reality of Christianity, Christianity has two aspects to it. I am in Christ. My position is in Christ and he is in me. Isn't that a beautiful idea? That here I am physically right here in the chapel. And you know, though I'm here physically, spiritually, I am told in Ephesians chapter two that I am sitting in Christ in the heavenly places. So physically I am here, but spiritually I am there. And yet we're also told that Jesus physically is in the heavenly realms, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but spiritually his spirit, the Holy Spirit, has come to indwell me here. So again, there's this twofold reality. And Paul says this is the grand mystery of all of Scripture, that when you go from Genesis through Revelation, the one thing that God has been declaring is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it's this reality that I am in Christ, and Christ now is living in me through his Spirit. That is an amazing reality. 
Paul says that has been hidden for ages and generations. We never understood that. That as we were reading the Old Testament as, as good Jews, wow, we for some reason never picked up the fact that this is all about him. But Paul says now there's been a revelation that has taken place. Now God through his spirit is revealing the fact that this is all about Jesus and his position in me. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2, 2, that this mystery is Christ himself. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you and I actually understood this overwhelming mystery? Not just in theory, not just in information. What would it look like if you and I knew this mystery to such a degree that it just bubbled forth out of everything we did, everything we said, everything we thought. Uh, I, I've often talked about this, and, and I've, I, I dived into this far deeper in the Ephesians study. In fact, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that whole series on the mystery. And one of the things that I did is I, I, I took some of my favorite pictures of Jesus from the Old Testament. Uh, one, of the, the, one of the things that just has deeply, deeply blessed me uh, over the last couple of years, is just seeing Jesus all through the Old Testament. That he is the triune God. He, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has, has always been around. Yes, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. He was incarnate as a man. And yet, folks, he's, he's always been. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Paul says in, in our passage that we studied the last time that he spoke creation into existence, that he's a creator of all things. What would it look like if next time you read the Old Testament, you were actually saying, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Show me Jesus in the Old Testament. That is one of my favorite things to do. And we don't have time here today to, for me to dive into that. I wish we did. I love that topic. And again, I, I talked about this far more in depth in the Ephesians study, and I'll put some links uh, if you're interested so you can go search that out. But the mystery what would it look like if you and I embraced the reality of this incredible mystery? Well, again, what is the mystery? Jesus. Paul says, God has made me a minister and I am proclaiming the richness of one message. What is the message I'm preaching? Paul says, oh, it's the mystery. And that mystery is Jesus. That, that I am proclaiming this concept that, wow, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That is the hope of our glory, says Paul. Do you know that mystery? Not just do you know about that mystery, do you actually know that mystery? Have you experienced the reality of that mystery? Is that mystery changing how you live every single day? Is this producing the hope in your life because Paul says that this mystery is the hope of glory. It's our expectation. It's our longing. It's our desire because this is all about him. I quote this passage all the time. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Let me read this to you. It is so exciting when you hear what Peter is saying. He says this, Seeing that Jesus' divine power has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has given to us 
his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may be become, sorry, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Do you hear what Peter is saying? He's saying that in Jesus is absolutely everything that you need for life and for godliness. And what do you need outside of life and godliness? Yeah, nothing. (laughs) And he goes on and he says that we get to somehow partake of his divine nature. Now that is so, that is so ridiculous. That is so insane to me. Now that does not mean you become God. You do not become God. (laughs) But somehow he has invited us in and we get to partake. We get to share. We get to experience his life. See, this is all about Jesus. And everything your life needs for life or for godliness is found in one single place. What is it? Jesus. Would you embrace him? I I love Romans 11. Uh, At the very end of Romans 11, specifically verse 36, Paul probably gives what may be the summary statement of all of Scripture. I mean, if you want one passage to just summarize all of Scripture, I think this could be it. Uh, Let me read verse 33, and then I'll read verse 36. Uh, Verse 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unfathomable are his ways. And then here's verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying this is from him and through him and to him for his glory. What if you realize that's what your life is supposed to be all about? That this grand mystery that Paul is declaring is a from him, through him, to him for his glory. Uh, If you're married, what is your marriage supposed to be about? Well, it's supposed to be from him, through him, to him for his glory. Uh, if, If you're in a romantic relationship and you're not yet married, what should that romance look like? Well, that romance should be a from him, through him, to him for his glory. If you're in your single years and you're not in a relationship, what should your single years look like? Well, that should be a from him, through him, to him for his glory. If you have a family, what should your family be all wrapped up on? Well, your family is a from him, through him, to him for his glory. Your work or your school life, what what should that be? It should be from him, through him, to him for his glory. What, what should your church be all about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What is all of the word of God about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's creation all about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Are you getting this? That the whole reality of life, all that God is doing, see, what God is doing is all about Jesus. That this is from Jesus, this is through his his enablement, his power, his grace, and this is unto him for his glory alone. See, this is from him, through him, to him, for his glory. Paul says, God has chosen me to be a minister according to his stewardship, so I might proclaim the overwhelming richness of the word of God. Well, what is that? It is the mystery. I get to proclaim the mystery Or as Paul would say in Corinthians, he says, I have one message, it is Christ and him crucified. 
Is that true in your life? Is your whole life wrapped up in Jesus? I know in the last session, we talked about the fact that Jesus is to be preeminent. That as Colossians 1.18 says, that, that Jesus is to have first place in absolutely every area of our lives. Is that actually true? Is your life from him, through him, to him, for his glory? Is your whole life wrapped up in the reality of Christ? Is everything you do flowing out of worship and adoration unto him? Is it possible that Jesus wants to make you a minister of this glorious, marvelous message? That there is a ministry of the mystery that he wants to develop in your life. That whether you're down at your job or whether you're ministering at home with your family, whether you're by yourself or whether you're at school or, or whether you're just walking through the park, that your life is to be a minister declaring the marvelous mystery, which is Jesus. If your life doesn't demonstrate and declare that, could I encourage you to go after Jesus? Could I encourage you to, to find yourself at the foot of the cross and, and say, Lord, I, I don't want to just live for myself. I don't want to just live for my prestige or my renown or my success or my whatever. Lord, I want my life to reflect and demonstrate the reality of Christ to this world. Could you make me a minister? Would you allow me to be a servant of one message and that message being Jesus? See, that is the Christian life that we are all ministers. We are all servants of one proclamation. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. He is the marvelous mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations and now has been revealed. It is all about Jesus. Everything you need for life and godliness is him. For from him and through him and to him are all things unto his glory alone. Would you allow your life to be reflective of that? Now, Paul, just as a way to conclude, Paul gets to the so that. What is the whole point of this whole thing? Why is he proclaiming this marvelous mystery? What is the whole point of this in our lives? Let me read you a few verses from our passage. He says this, Him we proclaim, we're proclaiming Jesus, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present you complete in Christ. I don't know how that's possible, <laughs> but wouldn't it be amazing to be complete in Christ? Jesus, that your whole life needs nothing outside of him, that somehow in him, I am complete. Now, I'm still growing. I'm still maturing. He's still sanctifying me. And yet everything I need, I'm truly complete in him. He goes on, so that we may present everyone complete in Christ, so that their hearts may be encouraged. Don't you need that in this generation, in the days in which we live? So that their hearts may be encouraged, having been held together in love, even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding, unto the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Have your life in him, says Paul. Having been firmly rooted and being built up in him and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed, abounding with thanksgiving. See, in Jesus, you are complete. 
In Jesus, you are growing and being built up and you are to be immovable, impervious to the world around us. That it does not matter the hurricane winds of life that may be pushing upon your life. In Christ, you have been grounded, that you find your fulfillment, that you're being, you're firmly rooted and being built up in him, that you've been established in your faith, in him. Is that true? If you find yourself being pushed around by culture, if you find yourself being distracted by all the things of this world, if you find yourself not rooted and not grounded and not established and not complete, well, the solution is to embrace the marvelous mystery, which is Jesus Christ. Oh, I want that for you. Now, in our next study together, uh, we're actually going to come back and we're going to be looking at this passage again. But we're going to be looking at it through the lens of Paul's suffering and his struggle. That in the midst of declaring this overwhelming message, this mystery, Paul says there is a great difficulty that begins to take place in our lives. But we're going to save that for next time. If you'd like to study along with this passage with me, I would so invite you to do so. I would be so blessed if you join me in this study. I've created Bible study guides and the session notes for each of these sessions. And below this video, if you're watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast, you can just click the link in the show notes. There's a link where you can sign up to join me in this study as we're walking through Colossians. You can do it at your own pace, but I would love to give you some resources of not just how to understand the concepts containing Colossians, but also just how to study the Word of God. And so if you'd like to join me in this study, you can just click the link, sign up, and I'd love to send those to you. But again, would you go after this grand mystery? Would you allow your life to be the proclamation of one message, which is Jesus? Oh, our generation desperately needs men and women of God who are proclaiming the one thing, Jesus. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we are just, oh, I'm overwhelmed by who you are. And Lord, I, I cannot skip the fact that on every page of Scripture, you are yelling out one single message, which is yourself, and your overwhelming redemptive love, and your desire to have intimacy and relationship with us. That the reality of the Christian life is not a series of doctrines, it's not just attending a church service, that the reality of Christianity is having relationship and intimacy with the living God, and then allowing you to indwell my life through your spirit, that I am in you and you are in me. Lord, I pray that everyone who is listening doesn't just know about, doesn't just have the facts and have the data and just doesn't really esteem that truth, but Lord, is living in that reality. Lord, I pray that you would make each of us servants of this message to our world, that as things are getting darker and as things are getting more dim and as things are getting more crazy, Lord, could our lives declare one single marvelous message, which is you. Lord, everything that we need for life and godliness is in you. And so, Lord, I pray that our lives, our marriages, our families, our singleness, our work, our schooling, our churches, our leisure time would all be from you and through you and to you for your glory alone. Oh, we give you all the praise. Oh, we love you, Jesus. In your precious and most powerful name we pray, amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.